Okay, everybody, thank you so much for tuning in. I am Aaron Eisman, and this is the Not Hebrew School Podcast. We are about to do a deep dive into the portion of Akev. I am here with one of my favorite people in the whole world, Mr. Andrew Perlman. Andrew, how are you, my friend? I am doing great, Rabbi. How are you doing? You had to think about that for a while. <laughs> it was, uh, you know, I had to get my bearings there. I'm sorry if I shocked you. <laughs> so, Andrew, we're going to do Parshas Akev, the portion of Akev. And for that matter, much of the last book of the Torah, Deuteronomy, is Moses recounting to the Jewish people before he dies all the things that happened in his life and, and all the Jewish people have been through in the desert and and Moses is recounting it and sometimes chastising people, reminding the people about what happened. And one of the things in this week's portion of Akev, Moses reminds the people of an incident that happened. But before I tell you what that incident was, I have a riddle for you. And here is the riddle. What do you think was the most important, incredible thing that Moses did in his life. Moses, who had such an incredible life for the first 80 years, first of all, growing up in the palace of, of, of Pharaoh and then running away from the palace, running for his life and becoming a shepherd in Midian and uh, ended up being a, a shepherd for 40 years in Midian, and really just spending time alone talking to God by himself. As a shepherd, so many of our forebears were shepherds because it affords a person the ability to just think. You know, you know. now we have cell phones. we very easy to relate to this idea, the idea of alone time. But even without cell phones, even uh, just life, you know, life is distracting. And uh, the life of a shepherd gives you the ability to just think. So the first 40 years of, uh, for about 40 years, Moses is a shepherd in Midian. And then he sees, he, God speaks to him by the burning bush. And he tells him, you can go save the Jewish people from slavery. And he goes and he speaks to Pharaoh and he negotiates and, and he brings 10 plagues. Or God brings, he orchestrates the uh, bringing of 10 plagues on the Egyptians, and then the splitting of the sea, and the traveling in the desert, and the manna, and the wars with the neighbors, and, uh, and just so many accomplishments, uh, the giving of the Torah, so many accomplishments that Moses accomplished in his life. What is his greatest achievement? What do you say, my friend? What would you say was Moses' greatest achievement? Wow, I I'm gonna need you to tell me, Rabbi. I do not know. How how am I to know? You know, sometimes you quote someone and and uh, the person says, "Well, who's who's that authority?" Well, this authority is none other than God, because when God is um, eulogizing Moses, the last verse in the Torah, the very last verse in the Torah. God is eulogizing Moses, and he mentions what was Moses' greatest accomplishment, and that was the fact 
or and he he mentions the great accomplishments of Moses, and the final one is that he broke the tablets. He broke the luchos. That he came as a reminder when Moses went up to get the the Ten Commandments, and he came down, and the Jewish people were serving the golden calf, and he saw it, and he took the tablets, and he and he shattered them, and he broke the, broke the Ten Commandments, and that was his greatest accomplishment. Now the question is, I mean, come on, Moses did so many amazing things in his lifetime. Why was the breaking of the tablets? His greatest achievement. What do you say, my friend? Wow. Maybe, um, I mean, I imagine it has something to do with his relationship and faith in Hashem and his, his um, and that's what snapped the Jewish people back into, to not, you know, observing false idols and following. Well, certainly it was necessary, right? He did the right thing. Right. And and a hundred percent, and uh, and there's an amazing, you know, we see Moses. Moses was the most humble of all, the most humble person to ever live, and we think that, or one might think, oh, he's humble and he's also, you know, a great leader. It's not like that. He was a great leader because he was humble. He succeeded in minimizing his ego. So that God was completely and totally present in his life. God is present in all of our lives. It's just that our ego sort of forces God out. God says, oh, you got it? Okay, no problem. You got this. But if I'm completely humble, completely um, without ego, so then God is in my life. By breaking the commandment, by breaking the, the tablets, Moses indicated that it was 100% for God, that there was no ego involved. Can you imagine his entire life? He's working towards bringing down these the, the Torah to the Jewish people. His entire life is going out of Egypt, and the and and the this is the crescendo of his entire life. And he's coming down, and he smashes them, willing to do what's right, irrelevant of how. This is going to affect my career. And that is true greatness. Complete nullification of his will to the infinite. And that's why this was so great. And that's what in this week's Torah portion, Moses reminds him how he broke the commandments. Complete nullification. You know, I remember when I was a, uh, when I was a camp counselor. I remember it was 14, 14 or 13 summers. Uh, I was I was uh, a camp counselor, and the sports is a very big, big part of it. And the job of the counselor is to facilitate um, sports for their kids, right? The hockey, basketball, volleyball, um, whatever, whatever the game is, you know, to facilitate that the kids have a good time. But the counselors, obviously, or not obviously, but maybe to a fault, get so involved in the game that it becomes an ego thing and the counselors start competing and they want to win, and which I guess is a good thing at some level. But at some point, it's that's not your job. Your job is to worry about the kids having a good time. 
don't get so caught up, right? That that soccer mom or the soccer dad yelling at the at the coach or something. When you are too, when you have too much ego involved, and I remember we used to get so into it. That's not the ideal. The ideal is to do a hundred percent for the other. Moses completely and totally get, did this for God. You know, there's an amazing book called uh, for anyone who's in marketing. It's a, an incredible book called Influence, written by Robert Caldini. And he says an amazing idea in this uh, in this book on influence. They did a study on horse betters, that horse betters that go to the track are much more confident that their horse is going to win after putting down $100 on a horse then before it. In other words, you come to a horse better and, you know, before he bets and you say, you know, what do you think this horse's chances are, right? He said, okay, I don't know. He's not so sure. But once the horse better puts money down on the horse, his confidence that the horse is going to win shoots up. Do you know why? Because he is now invested in that horse. He has ego. He has himself in, invested in that horse. Therefore, he thinks this horse is going to win. If you follow that logic, if $100 can make you convinced your horse is going to win, what about $200? What about $500? What about $1,000? What about $10,000? And if you take it to the next level, let's say you spend a year on something or two years on something or 10 years on something. You become invested in that thing. It doesn't become about that thing anymore. It becomes me. This is me. I identify with this thing. That's why very often when you see people making radical changes in their life, it's the older people. It's the younger people making that change because older people have invested so much time in this one area that that it's harder to change. What if I've been doing this my whole life? So what? Doesn't mean it's right, but it's so hard to change. I remember we once had a, uh, a very successful um, hedge fund manager speak to our students, and one of the students raised their hand and asked them the following question, what makes a successful hedge, hedge fund manager? What, what makes you successful in, in finance? And he said an amazing thing. He said, ego willing to admit you made a mistake. Imagine you invest in a stock and people stay with it too long. Why? Because then they would have to admit that they're wrong. They would have to admit they made a mistake and therefore they stay with it too long. And that's how, how do you become great? By cutting your losses fast. Really, I made a mistake, boom, getting out. Obviously not, you have to know how to do it. But that's, that was the greatness of Moses. The greatness was that there was no ego, even though this was his the, the the defining moment of his sort of career, and this was it, the right thing to do for the benefit of. Or imagine he could have said, "Guys, I'm going to give you a, a you know a year. You know, you have to repent for a year. You have to fast and do repentance. I'm not going to you know, and then I'll bring down the the tablets. No, boom. The right thing to do is to break them. Boom. He broke the commandments." And that's that's a message that we need to internalize. That as we're as we're going through life, you know, to sort of live with the goal of 
bringing out who I really am, bringing out my essence, my godliness. And anything that does not go in line with that, just discard it. Because that's what the that's what the message is. That's what the uh, learning that you made a mistake or 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 I, I you know people you surround yourself with you know on 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 campus I often share with students that you know just like when you're in elementary school and high school you you might learn a lot in elementary school and high school but but your biggest influence is your family right your parents you go home to because you're surrounded by your parents by your family. So much of the time, and your biggest influence in life is your family. So too on campus, when you come to campus, you're going to learn a lot in class. But the most that is going to shape you as a person is the people that you surround yourself with. And make sure to choose your friends wisely, because the, those are the that, that, is, that is the greatest influence in your life. So as we look around our lives and and you know, and and see see the choices we've made, the people we've surrounded ourselves with. Let's seize the opportunity to discard anything that is not in line with our mission of living a complete and successful uh, godly life. There's an amazing story about a, a sage by the name of Shimon Hamsuni who sought to expound. On the word S, every saying, every time it says the word S in the Torah, he would explain what that word means. So, for example, in the first word, the first verse of the Torah, Bereshis Baral Kim Shemayim, the heavens, Aretz, and earth, and Eis Hashemayim, and Eis Haaretz is coming to include something else, and everything. That every time it says the word ace in the Torah, he would go and expound what that word is coming to include. And he's doing this and he's spending his entire life on this mission. And then he came to a verse and he, throughout the whole project, he came to the verse, verse that says, Ace Hashem Kechatira, you have to fear God. Ace Hashem Kechatira. That uh, that ace Hashem you should fear God. What could that be coming to include? There is nothing equal to God. There is nothing else. And he threw out the whole project. Imagine spending your entire life on a mission, and then at the last minute coming to and just throw it out. You know, I have a friend uh, who's a PhD. Uh, He's, he's studying for his PhD in a very prestigious college in a very prestigious field. And we had this discussion that, you know, imagine you're applying for funding in a certain in a certain industry and you're officially doing research. But if somebody and you're putting your whole life into an experiment, a hypothesis, something that you're trying to prove and the numbers don't come out the way you were hoping or the way you advertised, the way you presented it to your funders and your bosses and your professors, there is a tremendous temptation to sort of, okay, let's use a different scale. Let's. It's very hard to get pure, kosher, pristine data because we often have our egos invested in it. And an amazing ending to the story is that Rebbe Akiva 
came along and helped out Rabbi Shimon Amsuni and said, you don't have to scrap your whole project. You don't have to throw out your project. Why? Because the it says, that you should fear God. What could that be coming to include? It's coming to include people that fear God. That you should you should be in fear not fear them you should be in awe not only of God but of people of 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 sages that also uh, um, have a connection to God and 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 th that's what it, that's coming to include you don't have to scrap your whole project so I heard from Rabbi Yisachar friend who heard from Rabbi Mordechai Gifter who asked the following question why didn't Rav Shimon Hamsuni think of that. In other words, why did why did it take Rabbi Akiva to help him save his project by telling him that you can really explain the S by Hashem Lakechatir, you should fear God, to mean those that fear God, you should not only fear God, but you should fear or be in awe of those who also fear God. Why couldn't Rabbi Shivanam Sunni think of that thing? That's not such a crazy, you know, it's not such a wild thing. Why couldn't he think of it? And Rabbi Gifter explains amazingly that when Rabbi Akiva saw that he was willing to scrap his whole project, throw out his whole life work, because it wasn't completely true, it wasn't completely accurate, he, he felt it wasn't completely pristine and kosher, that's it. There was no ego involved. And that's what, and then when Rabbi Akiva saw that people could be so egoless, so full of a desire to do what's right, he said, oh, it could include great sages, people like Rabbi Shimon Amsuni. So Rabbi Shimon Amsuni's character helped clarify his mission of interpreting the S, and the, and, and that's how it fit in. That, uh, that's, 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 how Rabbi Akiva interpreted S to mean also sages who are in awe of God. So the message of this, of, of Moses breaking the, the tablets and Rabbi Shimon and Sunni and, and really service of God in general is to do it for the sake, for the right reason. Not let our ego get involved, not let our ego get in the way because when uh, we're egoless, then we come to our natural state which is a godly being, and we can live life to the fullest and uh, fulfill our potential, light up the world by uh, living in the correct way. Hey, la 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 Thank you so much for tuning in. I am Aaron Eisman. They call me Rabbi E. Feel free to reach out to me at Rabbi E at M-E-O-R.org. Thank you so much for tuning in. Andrew, I forgot to tell, ask you what your thoughts are. What do you say, my friend? I think it's an incredibly important message and lesson to be without ego and everyone has the ability to have an ego and be blocked by it, um, which prevents from clarity and seeing the beauty that can come from collaboration um, and letting others into your, into your world and headspace. So I think it's a very important episode this week. Thank you so much, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. Looking forward to next week, everybody. Have an awesome week.